Welcome to Sunday. Thank you, worship team. You guys may take a breather. I feel like there's a bit of an echo on my mic. Sees where DJ sees. Why don't you help me out there? If you're online joining us, wherever you're at, good to have you with us. I'm going to jump straight in. Acts chapter 11. If you're from out of town, welcome to Link Church. Uh, welcome to the family. I specifically put my wife up to MC today, so I didn't have to talk too much about sport, you know, so it's just one of those things. Um, but I just, uh, I just want you to know, if you're from out of town, that we're winning on the North Coast regardless. Can I get an amen? <laughs> exactly. And so we're in a series uh, called Our Finest Hour from the Book of Acts. And uh, I want to speak today from Acts chapter 11. Last week was Acts chapter 10. And it's, a, it's kind of a message that leads on from last week, I believe. And so I want to jump straight in, Acts chapter 11. It's going to be on the screen. If it isn't and you've got your Bibles, that's good too. You're welcome to bring your Bibles to church. I promise your Bibles speak to you as good as mine does to me. That's what I can promise you. My Bible is not special, although it does have a lot of highlighter. It's worked out over the years, and I'm excited about that. Um, Acts chapter 11, let's go. Our finest hour. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the Word of God. So, context, if you've just arrived. Last week, we preached about Acts 10, where Peter gets a vision to go and preach the Word of God to a group of people that, in his mind, didn't deserve it, a Gentile group, which would become you and I, a non-believing or non-Jewish group, uh, that would receive the message of Christ and get filled with the Holy Spirit. It was a revolution of its time. And I'm telling you, God is still bringing about a revolution in His church. People are still being filled with the presence of God uh, because of the good news of Jesus, not because of anything we've ever done. And it's not the people that we always do. I was one of those. Anyone one of those once, along, once upon a time? that didn't deserve it, but God found me and He changed me and He's going to do it for someone in this room, I know by the grace of God today. So that's the context. Now He's back with His brothers in Jerusalem and they're saying, hey, what are you doing? You got me? So Peter went back to Jerusalem, verse 2, to the circumcised believers. I still can't believe that that was the distinction, but anyway, let's keep walking. Criticized him and said to him, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Notice the connection between food and faith. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I love how in this story, Peter's about to tell us the story that I read to you in Acts chapter 10. It's now Acts chapter 11. You've got this whole Bible, opportunities to tell a different story in every chapter, and Peter's about to tell the exact same story, almost word for word. Verse 4, Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Say, so he saw a vision. God's still giving visions. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. This is an exciting vision. This is a marvel vision. Just in case you thought church was boring, shout out to anybody who likes adventure. You just signed up for the biggest adventure of your life serving Jesus. I'm excited about that. Grateful church isn't boring. Tap your neighbor and say, I'm ready. Two people sound excited. Then I heard a voice, verse 7, telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Peter's missing it. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. I want you to see the connection between vision and voice, vision and voice, vision and voice. God gives Peter a vision, and through the vision, he begins, begins to speak by his voice. And I, I want you to see that sometimes 
the voice comes first and then the vision. Other times the vision comes first and then the voice. But I want you to see there's a connection between vision and voice. God won't speak to you without helping clarify where He's leading you. And God won't start to speak sometimes until He's given you a snapshot of what He's trying to say. God is not confused. We could be, but He isn't. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times because we take a bit of convincing. And then it was all pulled back up to heaven again. Verse 11. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. You remember the story? The Spirit told me to have no hesitation with going with them. I like that. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. He had never met them. And now he's going to a place that he's not familiar with. And he's just doing it because the Spirit said so. I could preach a whole message on partnerships just from that verse. All friendships, or choosing your marriage partner. I mean, I could, I could go there, I'll be honest with you, because when the Spirit tells me to do something, I do it without hesitation. And if the Spirit doesn't tell me to do something, I don't do it. I'm not saying I'm never, I've never done it, I have. But I know that the flow is when I go with what He's saying, not what I'm wishing for. So because the Spirit speaks to Peter, I feel there's a moment here for someone. Peter goes without hesitation. Some of the people in the room today and online today have defaulted to making decisions in your own experience or understanding or because he said or she said or that's what is seemingly required of me and this, that's the obvious next step. No, it isn't. The Spirit will speak to you today. I believe there's someone in this room today, big decisions, big, big decisions. And unless the peace of God comes on that decision, do not make it. We could go home. <laughs> the Spirit told me to go without hesitation, and so I went. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message. I'm going to speak about that a bit later through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. Peter's just telling the story, and he came on us like he came on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? And then Peter says, sorry, not sorry. He didn't really. I just put that in brackets in my Bible. When they heard this, they had no further objections. Of course not, because God is moving, saying, So then God has granted even to Dylan Yarnach repentance unto life. Even to you. Tap your neighbor and say, even you. Yeah, we've got to remind ourselves of that sometimes. Even you. The title of my message is quite simply, thank you, Tess, Sorry, Not Sorry. I just thought it would be culturally contextual to go there. But actually, there's this amazing moment where Peter, he kind of says, he gets back and they're like, hey, Peter, we don't like what you've been doing. What are you up to? And he's like, well, and then he just tells the whole story from beginning to end. He doesn't add any of his own story. He doesn't try and make it sound better than it is. He doesn't try and justify his actions. He just tells the story, start to finish, and right at the end, he goes, so I guess God gives it to everybody, not just us, right? I like Acts 11. Like, I guess God gives it to ordinary people still. Gives what? The gift of repentance unto life, which is a changed mind to see things the way He sees things. We're going to speak about that today. I want to speak a little bit about surrender. When I was preparing for this message, 
Um, I was thinking about that word repentance and how often we can associate it with the word sorry. And I'm not saying it doesn't have some involvement in the word itself, but I want you to write this down if you're taking down notes. If you're not taking down notes, write this down. The power of the gospel is not in your sorry, it's in your surrender. That's good. I agree, Jilly. The power of the gospel is not in your sorry, it's in your surrender. I'm going to break it down for you because I think often we live cyclic Christianity. We have good weeks, bad weeks, good days, bad days. I don't know if you're anything like me, but we have moments where we wish we could repeat them differently. And then our response to those moments is to say, and it's not bad, to own your stuff is not a bad deal, it's helpful, especially in marriage, amen. Tap your spouse and say, he's talking to you. <laughs> but I want to tell you the true power is not in your sorry, it's in your surrender, which is a changed life. Otherwise, we just cycle back to the default button, which is, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God. And it's like a weekly occurrence or a daily occurrence for some of us or an hourly occurrence, if I'm really honest, for most of us. And it's just, God, I'm sorry, I did it again. I'm sorry, I did it again. And God wants to say to you today, Link Church, God, I hope I'm preaching good. Don't focus on your apology or your sorry. Focus on your surrender. The power of the gospel is an invitation to a surrendered life, not a sorrowful one. Otherwise, you walk around feeling like you never hit it. And every single time, you're like, I did it again. Newsflash, just look down the row left and right of you. Don't stare too long at any one person in particular. But I want to let you know we're all missing it all the time. And the power is not when we recognize, oh, we've missed it again. It's when we recognize He's done it forever. Grace is a once and complete finished work. I want to speak about surrender today, because I truly believe the greatest life God, God has for us is still beyond, and some of us are sitting here, we're going, we've been in church for years. We, we, we kind of, we've, we've said our sorries, or we've given our surrender, but the, the point of this thing is it's, it's not a once-off. It's an every day. Maybe it's even now, God, I'm, I'm surrendering this moment to you. I'm I'm kind of giving up. And Peter, if I'm honest, when I read about his life story, Acts 10, Acts 11, he's going, guys, I'm just doing what He requires of me. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't my vision. It wasn't my voice. It was all from Him and for Him. I just did it and people got saved. I wonder what's going to happen when we refocus our attention of the church. Less in this posture of being sorrowful and I did it again. And more in the stance of surrendered victory because of Him. I think today some people are going to come alive in grace. And so I want to speak about a few things that I feel God is calling us to surrender to again, hopefully drawing some truth from the scripture in Acts chapter 11. You ready for it? Everyone shout out, sorry, not sorry. It's a good title, I like it. It might work on YouTube, who knows. The first thing I believe God wants us to surrender to one more time is His work. Surrender to His finished work. I got three things for you today. And not everything, they're just three things, but I feel like they may liber liberate you in some way this morning. He wants us to learn to surrender to his finished work again. I love it how Peter has to surrender to a picture of the finished work of Christ in a group of people that don't deserve it. God gives him a vision of what he calls unclean and impure, 
And then God says, never call it unclean or impure if it's from me. It's, if, if it's my people and I'm calling you toward them, you don't get to judge. And, and Peter goes about the work trusting in a finished work. You see, what we carry in grace when we surrendered, when we sorry, it's about us and our relationship with God. But when we surrendered, it's about the world falling in love with the Father. Can you see it? When it's just God, I'm sorry, okay, now you're good. But when it's God, I'm surrendered, now it's not just about you. It's about your business and your family and your friends. It's not just about you getting to heaven. It's about heaven working through you. I feel the church got to preach this with some more courage in this season. It's not just checking, am I good with you, God? Did I get to heaven? It's God, am I available enough for heaven to get through me? In my marriage, in my business. And you know what I love about this? It's the unclean impure, it's the Gentiles, it's the undeserving that get access to the same thing that Peter and his boys got access to on Pentecost. It says, he gave them the same thing he gave us. It was a gift to them, it was a gift to us. And because Peter was willing to submit to the finished work of grace, God pours out his spirit on a new group of people. God is calling us friends to surrender one more time to the finished work, which is to suggest you got to stop trying to figure this out in your own strength. Oh, but I'm a South African man, Dill. I know what to do to get by. Yeah, me too, until it doesn't work. But his work always works. I was thinking about it, you know, in the garden, Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve. I won't tell you the whole story, but I'm, I'm going to have so much fun today. I hope you're ready for it. hope you're comfortable. Genesis in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sin, all right? We know that part. That's the part we focus on. But just after they sin, God gets involved because he doesn't want to leave it there. And he steps in and he says, a time will come where I will crush his heel, uh, his head, and he will bruise my heel. Remember that little part, little insert in Genesis? Adam and Eve make a mistake and immediately God steps in because their sin was never going to separate them from the love of God. Can I get an amen? Neither will yours. And he says, I will crush his head and he will bruise my heel. It's what many people will call the gospel in the garden. It's the first time we get a snapshot of Jesus' life in the garden. Now, if you put that in context of you and I, uh, we're kind of being led astray and distracted by things all the time. And I want you to know that we may not always hear it or see it, but the narrative remains the same. God has crushed his head and his heel has been bruised. It has been done. It's talking about Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Like how it says, I will crush his head. Satan, and he will bruise my heel. He dead, I'm sore. Anyone else read it like that? No one? Just me? It's marvel. But think about a snake. I know, some of you don't like snakes. Me neither. Don't like them at all. Honestly, all due respect to everyone that loves snakes in the room. Don't put this on YouTube, but a good snake's a dead snake. All right, that's how I see it. But what I love about the garden in Eden is that Adam and Eve sin says the, some form of serpent. We can't be sure exactly what he looked like, but the word is serpent. It's used to describe how the devil manipulates them. And it makes sense that there's a connection between that and the slippery little things that no one should ever do anything with. But then it says, I will crush his head and it'll be done. Have you ever seen a snake with its head chopped off? It's still wriggling. That's exactly right. And I felt God start saying to me, 
My church can sometimes be like people, once the head of the snake's been chopped off, it's not dangerous anymore, but it's still wriggling and you're freaking out like you're in trouble. Can I preach a little bit? To surrender to the finished work is to come into this belief, this conviction of a spirit-filled believer, the day of Pentecost, that when Jesus Christ walked the hill of Calvary, went up on the cross, took upon Himself everything that we deserved in His mercy and grace, and said these words, it is finished. Here's what took place. Crushed. The snake, his head is off. He's still wriggling, but he's got no bite. Tap your neighbor and say, it's no bite. So why are you walking around trying to impress God when God is already impressed with you? Through Jesus. It's like we think it's upon ourselves to prove to God that we can take out the snake. We can't. We never could. We never will. That's why he did. And yet there's this, there's this wriggle in society. It's not a cool wriggle. It's like a sliver. I think Satan's doing his best to keep us scared. But now and again, we've got to surrender again to the fact that the head's gone. I don't need to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has worries for itself, Jesus said. I live in the presence of today. God in me. I'm surrendered to a finished work. He is the Alpha and the Omega. What He started, He will say it, finish. Therefore, I'm surrendering to the finished work. And my business isn't where I want it to be. And it feels like the devil's let loose on my, my team, perhaps. And my marriage isn't what I wanted or it's not what I dreamed of. I didn't think it was going to be here. It feels like the devil's had a field day. That's fine. He's still making a big noise, but he's got no bite. Just take a moment and surrender to God's finished work this morning. It still looks scary, but it ain't. You with me, church? I feel some people are feeling free already. Do you know, Jesus made this statement in his life. He said, uh, the birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. Jesus said that himself. That's because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. And just before they sinned, there was a seventh day. And what does it say? For six day, God created. And on the seventh day, he rested. And then sin entered the world. And guess what? God went back to work. And at the cross of Calvary, Jesus, the work was still was still going on. Jesus said, there's nowhere for me to rest because I'm at work for my people. And at the cross of Calvary, it says, and he breathed out his last, saying those words, it is finished. And then it says, and he laid his head to rest because Christ rests in our redemption. He rests knowing that the devil's days are done. God is resting. Why aren't we? Jesus is seated above all. I just, need to, I just need to preach some strong good news of your life today. There is nothing you can do to prove yourself to God. God has already approved of you. Rest. Come to church and rest. Receive. Take it all in and watch what God does through a surrendered life. Number two, surrendering to His Word. Surrendering to His Word. I know, it seems so obvious. I'm a simple guy. 
I preached to simple people in the room today. I remember I was driving, um, we were stranded in Mauritius two years ago. I know, you probably, if you don't know the story, you're feeling terrible for us right now. But at the time, it was pretty tricky, actually. And um, we were stranded in Mauritius, and we were trying to lead church online. It was, it was interesting from a distance. And obviously, I was waiting for a moment where I could get my hands on a decent camera or uh, some tech or something, just so I could help serve alongside our team back here and do something. And I got wind that there was this kind of community up, up north in Mauritius. Um, what's the area called further north? Shout it out to me. Uh, Fort Louis. Thank you. And um, Port Louis, that's what I said. And so I heard that there was like a, a room on the like 13th floor of a building in Mauritius that was selling tech that I could access. And so I said to Tess, I'm going to go. She said, are you allowed to? I said, I'm not interested in what's allowed at this stage. I'm going. I'm just going to trust God that I'm invisible. I literally, I said to her, I want to trust God that I was invisible. And I came home, what did I say? I was the invisible man for a day. And I got in my car, and what I had to do was set my GPS when I left the house in Wi-Fi and then trust it until I arrived in Port Louis. Because between there, I had no, uh, you know, updates or signal. And so I just had to trust this thing. Anyway, so I get in my car and I drive and it's taking me on the back roads. I have no idea. I've never done this before. Don't know where I'm going. I'm also hoping that there are no cops. There was one time, funny story, honestly, there was, a, there was a roadblock. Honestly, every single car was being stopped. And they just looked at me and waved and I just drove through. I was invisible. It's a Marvel story. I don't know, some of you guys read this Bible like it's boring, but this thing is alive. I was alive that day, and I got to um, Port Louis, and I went to the 13th floor, and there was a room, honestly, half the size of this front platform over here, and I walked in, and two local guys tried to explain to me in broken English what they had available, and I, I bought these cameras and whatever. It was actually amazing. It was a miracle, and I got back in the car, and I was driving home, same GPS, and obviously preachers have preached about this before, you know. Trust the voice of your GPS. Trust the voice of your GPS. But I remember having this moment when she was talking, and she took me on a different road. And honestly, she is a friend at times and a foe at times. You never know. But she took me on a different road. And, and when she went, I started thinking, I'm not sure I'm comfortable. First time in the whole trip, I've got there safely. I've got my camera safely. I'm going home, and I'm questioning her. And, and I realized in that moment, here's what I want to say. You can't mix the message. You must either trust the GPS, how many of you know this can go pear-shaped quickly, or you must trust your gut. But you can't let the GPS talk some, and then your gut, because she knows the shortcuts, but your gut doesn't. And if you trust her to a point, and then she takes you on a shortcut, now you're like, ah, my gut says, you're going nowhere. How many of you know that to be the case? Yeah, yeah, because you know more than the GPS. We've all tried that. Or you must just start out and go, this is the coast, this seems to be the highway, I'm going to go with it and see where I land up. Don't worry about her, but you can't mix the message. And I, I really felt God just speak to me in the car that day. He said, we're mixing the message too much. Either we trust His Word, or we trust our styles and our ways and our thinking, but you can't mix them up. Am I preaching? Either He's leading you somewhere that is beautiful and significant, and sometimes it takes a little road that you're not familiar with, but trust me, He knows the outcome, and you're surrendering to that word, or you just do it your own way. But don't mix it up. I've tried it. Don't do it. God, I'm going to take a little bit of you and a whole lot of me. Bad idea. You see, the power is not in your sorry. 
It's in your surrender. God, I'm sorry I went the wrong way. He's not interested. What he is interested in is that you surrender to him all your time. You see, the true flow of heaven is in a surrendered life, not a sorry life. I hope this is speaking to you. I want to build a church that's surrendered to the power of God, not committed to a weekly sorry. I love it how Peter says, he sent me to Joppa. I went there with six guys and I don't know, we were just doing our thing. And verse 14, he said, and he will bring you a message through which you and your household will be saved. It's a message. That word message is the word rhema. It's about to get so good, church. There are two descriptions of the Word of God, words used to describe the Word of God in the Bible. We read it as word. In this case, message. Some of your translations may actually say word there. But there are two versions or, or descriptions of this, this, this idea of word. One is rhema and one is logos. Now, logos is the obvious it's the described Word of God. It's like in the beginning, God made the world and the world, and He spoke the Word, and the world became, and it was, this, it was this Logos Word. Jesus Himself is described as the Word of God, His Logos Word. And then there are other times where you read Rhema Word. This is one of them, and another time is when Peter walks on the water. So Peter walks on the water. Ray Bevan helped us with this this week. It was so beautiful. And he says, standing on the water waiting for Peter. You know the story, church? Online, you still with me? Don't skip breakfast just yet. Don't go to breakfast. Peter's standing in the boat, Jesus on the water. The Word is on the water. The Logos is on the water. Peter knows that's Jesus. He knows kind of who he is. He's learned a little bit about him. He's read a little bit about him. It's Logos on the water. And then Peter says to Jesus, just say to me that I should come. And Jesus says, come, Peter. That's Rhema. Now, the difference between Logos and Rhema is Logos is a given, it's obvious, it's understood. You can read the Bible front to back and you kind of, there it is. Rhema is it jumps into your heart, it jumps into your spirit, it calls you to something. Why is this powerful? Because Peter walks on a Rhema word. Peter, you see, God is saying many things to his house, but he wants to get personal with you. God will preach and show himself in many ways, but he wants something today to jump into your spirit for the first time. You see, Peter walks on a rhema word, not a logos word. Peter walks on a word, a unique, personalized word. Jesus looks to Peter and he says, Peter, come to me. God wants to get personal with you, church. And sometimes because we're in the, God, I'm sorry, he's going, forget that now. The finished work of Christ is enough. I'm looking for surrender. God, what are you trying to say to me? And when God speaks, when that thing jumps into your spirit, friends, trust it, because you don't want to mix this message. Either you go with your guts, or you go with the GPS. And the one thing I found about the GPS and my guts is my gut sometimes works if I follow trails I've been on before. But if you want to go somewhere you've never been, you get it, right, church? And so God is calling us to surrender His Word. Peter said, He will bring you a rhema through which you and your household will be saved. Not an ordinary word, a word that leaps into your spirit. Tap your neighbor and say, sorry, not sorry. Is it feeling better? Okay. 
the last thing I believe God wants us to surrender to is His ways. Surrender to His work. It's not about me getting to heaven. It's about heaven having access to me. Surrender to His word. It's not about knowing about Christ. It's about knowing Christ. It's about walking with Him. And some of you are sitting in this room thinking, I'm not sure I understand how He speaks and what Rhema means. Don't worry, God will show Himself to you. Trust me, He's cleverer than me. He's bigger than me. He's more personal than me. God will use whatever moment He needs in the room today to help you understand the power of His voice in your heart today. And the last thing is ways. Now, it's interesting. Jesus comes and He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then He says, no one comes to the Father. The way of Jesus is first father. Write that down. First father. First father. Not first wisdom. First. Can I even say? Not even first prayer. I know that's being controversial. But it's first father. It's first I know I have access to a heavenly father before I do anything to ask of him. The way of Jesus, one of the things God is asking us to surrender today, church, is to Him as a Father. Christianity is not about direction. It's about design. Serving Jesus, a sorry life, can be about direction. Sorry, God, can I get it right today? But a surrendered life is about design. Regardless of what I do next, God, I'm surrendered to the outcome of heaven in my heart. Whether I go left today and I should have gone right, whether I go right tomorrow and I should have gone left, I'm surrendered, God. I'm waking up one more time and I'm asking you, would you remind me that you've completed the work, the devil's head is done, that you are speaking to my heart. There is a rhema word for me and my family and my story and our church and our nation. Friends, this nation is crying out for rhema words, surrendered lives, the Spirit of God giving us rhema words, unlocking businesses, unlocking marriages, unlocking families. Someone come to me after church today and said, do I want to get baptized? Why? I don't know. God just spoke a rhema word. Let's figure it out. Let's baptize you. Because when we start to move on God's utterances, we start to see things we've never seen before. But we've got to surrender to His ways, which means we have the presence of an Almighty Father. The first time Jesus got lost, at least that's how we write it, was the first time that he references being found. It says that his parents left Jerusalem and they couldn't find him anywhere and they thought that he was lost. Where was Jesus? In his temple, he says, about my father's business. Why were you worried, mom and dad? In other words, you think I'm lost, but I'm actually found. Lost is being out the Father's presence. Found is being in. And you see, I've done this progression for a reason because if you don't believe that Jesus' finished work was enough to win your life, you won't believe that you're worthy of a heavenly Father's presence. But if you surrender to believe that actually Jesus, maybe what you did was big enough for me to have more for my life. And maybe what you're saying to me is more important than what others have said in my life then I have access to a heavenly Father and it feels good. You see, the way of God is first Father. Not first church, not first Bible, not first friend, not first give, not first be a good guy, first Father. Let me ask you a question. 
What does it look like for you today, church, online, friends, wherever you are, just to take a moment and say, Father, I'm here. Because I can promise you, He already is. You see, sorry won't allow you to live a life of ongoing fruit. It'll just be a cyclic, am I good? But surrender. Surrender to His work, surrender to His word, surrender to His ways. There's a song uh, written recently by, I think it was Steph Gretzinger, and she sings this line in the song. She says, I'm out there trying to be a judge when all you're looking for is just a child. And I thought that's what it means to surrender to the ways of God. I'm less concerned for everyone around me and what they're up to and what they did and what they should have done. Can I just preach to a few people that spend their lives worrying about everyone? And I'm more just grateful that I get to be His child. You see, when you surrender to the ways of God, you're less conscious of your sin and you're more conscious as a son or as a daughter. And in this house today, there are a lot of sinners. In fact, if I counted each of you, it'd be full house. But God's not interested in us. He doesn't call us that anymore. He calls us sons and daughters. It's different now. And if I'm your brother in Christ, that means your victories are my victories. That means my victories are your victories because it's a family deal. Amen? And God wants to set some people free. You don't feel qualified. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel sure. But you're a son. You're a daughter. It's a family deal. Peter says you and your whole family will get saved on this rhema word. God isn't messing around with this church, friends. He's saving people into family. He's saving us into a relationship with our heavenly Father. Won't you stand with me? I want to read. From a book that uh, Tess has been reading from. And he talks about this idea of us all being on a journey to a father. Oh man, I think we're going to have to close it. Second service might look different. Who knows? He says it was Thomas Aquinas who first said that our core identity as human beings is as homo vieto. Don't worry, I'll, subscribe, I'll summarize it for you, which means pilgrims on a journey. Humans on the way, if you like. The homo vieto on the way to life in patria. He says we are just humans on the way to life in Father. And I wonder today if we could have some courage in this church to surrender again to His work and His ways and His word.